right. Good evening, everybody. How you doing? It's slow, slow. All right, let's go ahead and stand. Thank you for being with us online. Glad to see you tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Good to be home. I think Dorothy had it right. No place like home as I click my heels together. Uh, certainly have missed being around here. Of course, I've made up for it. Get in Sunday night, and I haven't stopped since I walked in the door. Uh, how many have a need tonight as we open up in prayer? If you just lift your hand. If you're online, if you'll comment, we'll pray with you as well. Let's continue to pray. Um, we just... I know, I know I said it a couple of weeks ago, but since November, probably Thanksgiving, we've averaged a funeral about every, I'd say about every 10 days. It's been a lot. Uh, so, you know, I pre- really appreciate everybody that serves the meals, and we've served meals for every family. Uh, had uh, Connie's funeral on Monday. We've got another funeral on Friday. Uh, just, just lots of stuff. Let's pray for those families. Um, you know, you're never prepared for the loss of a loved one, and, and uh, uh, the one Friday is, it was a very sudden thing, and so the, the shock of that will continue to reverberate for some time, but I'm just, so, I don't know about you, but I'm glad for the hope of heaven. You know, that is, we sorrow, which is human and natural and, and needed, but we do so with, as those who have hope, and so uh, let's uh, continue praying for uh, revival uh, in in our community, in our church, in our in our nation, and uh, you know as we move into the summer, school's out now for a lot of students. This week, many uh, the rest of the students will be out. Let's just pray for a, a productive uh, summer. Um, and uh, anyway, Father, we just are so grateful, uh, Lord, to be able to come together and study Your Word tonight. God, I thank you for again the last couple of days of the rain that has nourished our ground and. Uh, Lord, it's is, is just, to me, a reminder as you wash out uh, the pollen and the things in the air. Lord, I thank you that there's a spiritual parallel. And Lord, we ask uh, that you would send the latter rain, that you would just shower us with, uh, with your blessings and pour out your spirit, Lord, continually in these days. And, and Father, I pray as we enter in tonight to study your word, I pray for every hand that went up in the building. Uh, Lord, every need that's been expressed online tonight. God, I thank you that you're faithful Lord, you know what we need before we even ask it. And Lord, the, the, I truly believe the answer is already on, on its way. You already know how you're going to come through and we're going to get through these things that we're facing. I pray for our families that have gone through the loss of loved ones. I pray, God, that you would continue to uphold them with, their, with your powerful right hand, that you would continue to be that comfort and strength uh, that they need. I pray for the ones who continue to serve them. Uh, Lord, I know it's, uh, it's tiring and laborious. But, Lord, thank you for servant leaders and servants that serve one another. And I pray, God, that you would refresh them in the Holy Spirit. Lord, all the ministries tonight, Lord, just be uh, present in those, be exalted in those things. Lord, I pray as the students are um, out of school for the summer that, uh, again, Lord, that we uh, just find a productive time during the summer as we, again, seek your face. And we ask for revival in our church, in our lives, in our community, in our nation. And, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts tonight that we might uh, receive your word. Uh, Lord, illuminate it for us so we might grab hold of your truth. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen. God bless you tonight as you're seated. Uh, Go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 7 as we continue on with our series on Got Questions. And tonight we're going to be talking about all for one and one for all. Uh, While you're turning there, uh, tomorrow is our uh, food distribution uh, Thursday. 
this one is here at the church. So uh, the truck's sitting out there. We'll start about 8 o'clock getting everything prepped and ready to go. And then we generally try to roll at 9 o'clock with the distribution. So um, anyway, if you have opportunity to come up and, and help us, um, I uh, thank you, sir. Uh, so anyway, tomorrow, if you want to do that, uh, are available to do that. Also coming up during the summer, uh, shortly after first of the month, we have VBS, uh, Vacation Bible School put on by our children's ministry. Again, they're looking for volunteers. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities to get involved that are not demanding. Uh, they're just needed places. So there's a sign-up sheet at the hub for that. And, uh, you know, please consider join for this uh, this is a church-wide event. Uh, it takes everybody to pull it off, and uh, that's coming up in June. I forget the dates, and I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, I, tell, I told my daughter, I said, I'm still have, I still have vacation brain. You know, sometimes I can remember, and sometimes I can't. But uh, anyway, those things are happening. Uh, this coming Sunday, I'll be preaching. Uh, we're out of our series. Uh, I'm not going to start a series for a couple of weeks, uh, but... Uh, uh, the next series that I'll be preaching later on in June, uh, actually, actually, I think it's going to be the Sunday after we're doing our Celebrate America service on July the 2nd. Uh, so make note of that. That's our God and Country Day. We'll have lunch after service. We honor our veterans. So if you know vets, uh, encourage them to join us. Um, and uh, the next series is uh, Questions That Jesus Asked. We're going to look at some of the questions. You know, Jesus never was one to mince words. And if he spoke, there was a purpose behind what he said. And the questions that he asked were normally penetrating questions. And so we're going we're gonna to delve into that for the summer. Uh, anyway, so let's read our text tonight. John 17, chapter, uh, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, these are the words of Christ. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. May Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. So as we begin tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about the diversity within the kingdom of God. These are, again, these, this series, uh, I have Devin talk about the scriptures last week. Uh, we've been talking about just, just common questions that people have today. If, if you ever watch these man on the street interviews, uh, you, you, you hear people, you know, for instance, about the Bible. What do you think about the Bible? Well, today, most people would answer, well, that's just a book written by a bunch of men. That's the typical answer today. Well, that just shows a level of ignorance. If you understood uh, how uh, the Bible was canonized, if you understood how the scribes took their time in, in, in uh, transcribing and, and, and copying the, the text, I mean, it's, it's an incredible thing to, to think about. But there are a lot of questions that people have for which the Bible has answers. And, and so tonight we're going to be looking at the diversity within the body of Christ. You know, uh, and, and I'll start with this story. Many years ago, uh, and I don't know how many years ago, but many years ago, I was standing down at the in, this end of the building, and there was a young boy. There was an event going on, and there was a boy standing there, probably about eight years of age. And uh, he looked at me, and he said, Pastor Mike, he said, why is that church over there? 
and he was pointing to the Methodist church next door. He said, why is that church over there? And I, and I looked at him. I said, well, I mean, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? He said, well, we're here, and they're there, and we're very close. And he said, why are there so many churches? Why are there churches, it seems like, what's the old adage, on every corner? And, uh, you know, I've never, I never been directly asked that before. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, how do you explain to an 8-year-old the doctrinal distinctions of denominationalism. How, how do you do that? And so I finally looked at this boy and I said, I asked him, I said, so let me ask you this question. Do you have a brother? And I know this was probably over, oversimplified, but I'm talking to an eight-year-old. I said, do you have a brother? And he said, well, yes, sir. I said, do you like everything that your brother likes? He goes, yuck, no way. <laughs> I said, that's why. I said, that's why you have so many different churches. I said, some churches like things done a certain way, while others like things done a different way. I said, that's why. And, and, and I said, as long as they serve Jesus, as long as they teach God's word, they are brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. He goes, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And then he walked on. <laughs> And, and, and it really does. You know, I, I, in some of our missions travels, I've been, I've been privileged to sit into, into cultural things that I didn't understand. I remember doing a pastor's conference in uh, East London, which is uh, on the Indian Ocean side of South Africa, uh, just south of Durban. I was doing a pastor's conference, and it was the tribes there that speak, if you've ever heard their language, they speak with a, with a, with a, a tick, or click, that's the word I'm looking for, click. And, and it was really fascinating to me because they'd be, you know, just every, I mean, I, I, it was fascinating to me to sit there and watch them communicate and where they put the click define what the word meant or the emphasis. And I sat there with them and, you know, doing this pastor's conference with one of the regional directors there in South Africa. And again, I was just overwhelmed uh, at the cultural differences. They they, uh, they did things that I'm not, I'm not familiar with. They worshiped in ways that I wasn't familiar with. But you know what we had in common? Christ. We, we were brothers and sisters in the Lord, and, and, and I didn't understand the language, and, and, and no matter how hard I tried, I could never click the way I needed to click. Uh, but I could worship with them. I've been in Cuba, and, and no hablo no espanol, or at least not very well anyway. And, but yet I can... I could hear melodies, and I could sing songs in, in, in my language, and I could worship with them. So we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know, in this day of divisiveness, sometimes the family of God can become very cloudy as to who is truly part of God's family. I want to say that again. In today's world, with all of the division that we see in our world, and again, we, we as human beings are very good at separating people and grouping them. We group by, by skin color. We group by, uh, by language. We group by education, by economics, all kinds of things. Uh, in this type of, you know, and today it can be very difficult to really discern or understand who truly is in a part of the family of God. Just because somebody says, I am a believer, does not mean that they're, they're part of God's family. Amen? 
And, and, I, and I know right away, right off the bat, somebody's going to say, now, pastor, the Bible says don't judge. Well, it also says don't be ignorant. Here, here's the thing. We cannot compromise biblical standards of faith to accommodate an apostate church. That's, that's the truism of the world that we live in. You can, we, cannot, we cannot compromise the, 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 the standard, the biblical standards of faith for a world, a, a church world that has gone apostate. And, and today we see that. We see denominations that are endorsing and condoning things that Jesus has condemned. And then they look at those who hold the line of Scripture and they talk about us being bigoted and intolerant and things like that. And so, again, it's a very cloudy time. It's a very cloudy world. Uh, you know, here's the thing. If they preach, if anybody... And isn't that what Paul said to the Galatians? He said, look, I don't care who comes to you. Even if I come back to you and preach another gospel, what did he say was to happen to them? Let them be accursed is what he said. If they preach a different Jesus, we're not in fellowship with them. We're not in fellowship with them, period. Even if they do charitable things. See, today that's the world standard of whether or not we our people of God, is it, do we have charity? Now, listen, I believe Christians are to be the most charitable people on the planet. To whom much is given, much also is required. And what, did, what have we been given? We've been given eternal life through the gift of God's only Son. We ought to be charitable. I remember the first time after I took over the district, North Texas, disaster ministry, uh, it's probably been 10, 12 years ago. I remember my first deployment, uh, I set up, we set up in what they call a, in disaster relief world, it's called a MARC, M-A-R-C, which stands for Multi-Agency Resource Center. And it's everybody, Red Cross, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you disaster relief stuff, Red Cross, Salvation Army, uh, Samaritan's Purse, Hunt Convoy, all these organizations set up, and people come into there, those places, fill out application for assistance. I remember the first time I set up in a mark and I looked around at some of the organizations and some of the organizations, it floored me that they actually were there because I know publicly what they stand for and I thought, how in the world can they be in here doing charitable things when this is what they believe? And, and so what I'm saying is that, again, we, we have to understand that if they preach a different Jesus even if they do charitable things, doesn't mean they're part of God's family. So, so if you read through the New Testament, you'll discover uh, early on there, there were a number of conflicts in, uh, among the first Christians, right? I mean, there was a lot. In fact, many of the reasons that Paul wrote letters, uh, I love the little meme I've seen, said if Paul, uh, you know, if, if we keep acting, I forget the exact wording of the meme, but it says if we keep acting the way we do, we're going to get a letter. <laughs> and Talking about Paul sending us <laughs> a corrective letter. But that's what Paul did. You know, I mean, think about uh, think about it, uh, some of the disagreements that they had among the first Christians. They had disagreements about eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians. The book of Colossians uh, actually addresses the proper role of angels and new moon celebrations. And in, in Philippians, Paul makes a strong plea about, uh, for unity between two ladies that couldn't get along. He said, I implore you, <laughs> get along with each other. You know, so conflict has been part and, par part and parcel to the body of Christ 
from the very beginning. So as we get into our text, uh, John 17 is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. In the Gospels, it's the longest recorded uh, prayer of Jesus. It covers a lot of verses and it covers a lot of time. In fact, that prayer stretches 20 centuries. That prayer is still a prayer in effect today. It's still a prayer for the body of Christ today. After Jesus left uh, the upper room, uh, he, he kind of, you know, as he's walking along, he pauses his walk to the Mount of Olives. And in John, uh, in, in chapter 17, verse 1, he said, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said. And if you read through the rest of that chapter, Jesus had three requests in this priestly prayer. Number one, he prayed for himself to be glorified. Number two, he prayed for his disciples to be protected and sanctified. And number three, he prayed for all of us to be united. That's the three things that Jesus prayed for in the longest prayer that he prayed. For himself to be glorified, for his disciples to be protected and sanctified, and for all of us to be united. So in our text, Jesus prayed. He said, do not ask for these only but also for those who, who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, his prayer is that we all come together and believe. I really believe the best advertisement to the resurrected Savior is the oneness of the, of the body of Christ. It is a powerful witness to the world. When we're unified, it displays the personality, the purposes, and the power of God. Because only God can take a diverse group of people such as ourselves, bring us together, unite us for a common cause. Only God can do that. It is a powerful witness to the world. What did, what did again, the scripture said, by, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. See, the call to the body of Christ is a call to be different. The call to the family of God is a call to be different. So again, the prayer that Jesus prayed is filled with expectations. And tonight I want to look at some of these expectations. Number one, the first expectation is the oneness includes all believers. This unity or oneness, don't get confused, it's the unity. The unity of the believers, it includes all believers. You know, Jesus wasn't just, he wasn't just... Uh, he doesn't just want us to get along uh, with a few people that we happen to like. Or maybe only those within this church. His prayer says that they may all be one. His prayer is much deeper than us four and no more. And, and, and we have to be careful about that. Um, in verse 23, Jesus, again, longs for us to become, notice what he said there, perfectly, become perfectly one. Perfectly one. True believers in Christ share a common unity. And, and that common unity leads us to be cautious. We have to be cautious about, uh, about a couple things. Number one, the first one is extreme separatism. Isolation, if you will. Some believers refuse to acknowledge that they are true Christians in other churches. Anybody, anybody ever had somebody challenge you because... I lived next door when we first moved to Cleburne. We lived on Sheridan Lane, and uh, we had a neighbor that was of a particular faith, and and uh, they would always come out. And great people, and uh, they knew, you know, they knew I was pastor, and we all we had many many interesting spiritual conversations. 
and they would always tell me, now, you got to understand, we're not like everybody else in our movement because <laughs> we believe other people are going to heaven too. And that was the way it would be prefaced. And I used to say, man, heaven is a big place for just a small group of people going. You know, I'd heard one time somebody said there that, that in all of history up to this point, there's roughly 40 billion people that have been alive on planet Earth. And if you look at a city that is, somebody does way too much thinking on these things, but it's 1,500 miles cubed. What that means is every person who has ever lived could have a piece of property in that one city that would be a half mile square. God made it big enough for all of us. And yet, there are people, even today, that believe they have a corner on heaven, that they're the only true believers. Here's a newsflash. We don't have an exclusive uh, lock on the truth. If someone is a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, then that person is my brother and si- or sister in the Lord. If they are a born-again believer, again, there are qualifications because not, not just because, it's not just anyone who claims that. Anybody can claim it. If they are truly born-again believers, they are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. I, I love what God spoke in Ezekiel 20. He said, And I sought for a man among them who should, be, who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before the men of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And my question is, will God find someone in, in our area to stand in the gap and build bridges instead of fences? I mean, think about what can be accomplished if the body of Christ would come together to focus on the Great Commission. When Jesus looked out at the helpless, uh, the, the helpless uh, lost that were there, the Bible says he was filled with compassion. Matthew chapter 9, he said the harvest is plentiful, but what? The laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly, he said, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field. You know, here's what I'm convinced of. We need more laborers who are committed to building God's kingdom rather than their own kingdom. Now, listen, I, you know, I gave that up years ago. You, we did a drama based on a vision God gave me in 1997 of people going to hell. Everything prior to 1997 that we did here at Bethel had one purpose behind it, and that was to grow the church. I thought the responsibility to add people to the church was on me. Every concert, everything we did, and when I had that vision of people going to hell, it totally changed. In fact, some of you would probably, you might remember, I got up, it happened on a Saturday night. I come up to pray on Saturday nights before service on Sunday. When I saw that, that, that vision as I was praying, it rocked me, it shook me. Even if I start describing it to you, I'll start crying because it's still as real today as it was in 1997. I got up the next morning, didn't preach the message I'd prepared. I got up and I apologized to the church. I said, I'm sorry that I've not been the sole winning pastor that this church needs. And I've not, everything I've done has been about building the church. Now uh, we're going to focus on building the kingdom. And from 1997 up to present time, we've had signed cards over 5,000 people that have committed their life to Christ, either for the first time or an act of rededication. Somebody challenged me on that one time and said, well, where are they? I said, well... There's some at First Baptist, there's some at Cleburne Bible, there's some at the Heights, there's some in Godly. I said, my, my, I want people in the kingdom. And my prayer has been, God, give me a tithe of the people we reach because through aging and attrition, we got to replace people. 
right? We got to, you know, we got to have new people. We got to, workers, the laborers, we've got to have laborers to continue on the ministry. But it, my focus shifted. And our team leaders that would understand, our team leaders, we talk all the time that the, 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 the impetus behind what we do is to reach lost people. That's it. If they join us, praise God. If they join somebody down the street, well, praise God because they're in the kingdom. So, so we have to be careful um, about the separatism, thinking that we're the only ones that have a corner of the, that have a hold on the truth or a lock on the truth. Secondly, we've got to be careful of what, what I would call ecumenical sloppiness. Now, the word ecumenical means to be all-inclusive. And that's a very frightening thing to hear in these modern times, all-inclusive. Uh, but hear me, all-inclusive doesn't mean, uh, uh, unity doesn't mean uniformity. That's a powerful distinction. Listen, the truth is there are doctrinal differences. And there are biblical distinctions. In fact, with the Assemblies of God, we have, uh, we have in fact, there's a, I think there's a brochure out there that's called Our Distinctive Doctrine. There is a distinctive doctrine. It's number eight, baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a distinctive doctrine. Not everybody, not everybody believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not everybody believes the initial physical evidence uh, is speaking. Not everybody believes that. That's okay. There are doctrinal differences and biblical distinctions. Earlier in the same prayer, Jesus, and here's what Jesus does. He established that sanctification can only happen when it is based on Scripture. Verse 17, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. See, truth alone must determine our alignments and our partnerships. Did you get that? Truth alone. Must align. Uh, so only those who are born again are really our brothers and sisters in the faith. The third thing I would say is unity, again, I've already said it, is not uniformity. It is possible to be diverse and yet not be divided. It's possible. I mean, I, I look at it kind of like a puzzle. You look at that puzzle and they're all distinctive pieces. Shaped different, colored different. They fit different, but when they fit together properly, they make a beautiful picture. And to me, that's the body of Christ. That's a description of the diversity of the body of Christ. We have different gifts, different abilities, different personalities, different thoughts, different opinions. You know, we, we're, we're not called to be the same. We're called to be one. Called to be one. That means we can disagree without being disagreeable. Unfortunately, I think today, and, and for the, some time now, probably the last 20-plus years, unfortunately, Christians divide over matters of taste, not truth. That's a big thing. Unity becomes a great witness to a lost and dying world of the power of God to bring people together. Divisiveness shows the world, shows the world, that we haven't learned anything. Actually, what did Paul say in the Corinthian letter? He said, you know what? I don't even care if you pray in tongues of men and angels. I don't care if you give everything. I don't care what you do, but if you do it without love, you're nothing but noisemaker. So let's look at the pattern of holiness. 
Verse 11 of John 17, Jesus prayed that his disciples would experience the oneness or that unity that existed in his relationship with the Father. So what is he doing? He's given us the pattern. You know, does everybody know that the tabernacle was a pattern? Okay, so, so right here Jesus is now showing us another pattern. And, and that, that unity that's to exist within the body already exists in his relationship with the Father. In verse 21, he prayed, may they also be in us. And then in verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. Again, he's setting up the pattern. The unity Christ wants us to have is so intimate, so personal, and so vital that it is patterned after the relationship that exists in the Godhead. So what is the purpose? Number three, what is the purpose of oneness or unity? Well, pretty simple. Verse 21 gives it to us. That they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. There it is. The reason we're to get along with one another. In fact, unity is so important. Jesus said, if you come down to offer a gift... And there you remember, there you, you, it hits you that there's issues between a brother and you. What did he say do? Leave your gift, go be reconciled, and then come back. It was so important, unity so important, he said, you know what? Stop what you're doing and go make things right and then come back. Because Elsewhere, he said, if you refuse to forgive men, their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will refuse to forgive yours. That's pretty serious. You know, we don't hear many sermons on that, but that's the truth. You know, the most powerful witness to the world, a lost and dying world, is the unity of the church. Number four, let's look at the practice of unity or oneness. Verse 22 uh, in our text tonight says that we have been given the glory that was given to Christ. The word glory is the kabod or the weightiness. It's the visible manifestation of God's attributes. When we are united, the world stands up and takes notice uh, of God because they see him glorified in us. That's a powerful thing. How many of you ever heard somebody say something like, you're the only Bible that many people ever read? That's kind of what he's talking about here. Christ glorified in us. That means that we, we live in a way that is honestly not humanly possible. Because through Christ, we have been called to love the unlovable. How many has ever run across somebody that was really hard to love? Yeah. Yeah, but through Christ, we, we, can, do it. we can do it, right? So um, Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said it like this. In the same way, let your light. Again, he's talking about glorifying him. In our lives, he said, let your light shine before men. Why? So that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. It's not about patting yourself on the back and saying, look what I did. You know, I get, I get, I, the big turnoff to me is when somebody comes and starts bragging about what they do. That, that drives me insane. And today, you know, you, we, we live in a culture in Christendom where they toss around the words prophet, prophetess, apostle more than you can shake a stick at. Don't tell me you're a prophet or a prophetess. Show me. I never found a, 
uh, a prophet in the Old Testament making a, you know, today it's almost like they bring out a business card and say, hey, I'm prophet so-and-so. They never did that in the Old Testament. Their works verified that God was, had called them to that office and that role. And it turns me off. And it should. He said, let your light shine in such a way that people see it and they don't brag on you, they brag on God. Now, let me just give a little clarification uh, about the word church because the word church is used, uh, in the Greek it's ecclesia, it's called out ones, but it's used in two different ways in Scripture. Number one, when you read the word about church, uh, we talk about the universal church, okay? And the universal church represents all born-again believers that have been called out from every walk of life, every culture, and every country on the planet. That is the universal body of Christ. True believers are joined together as one people who share in one spirit and worship one Lord. That's the universal church. We here at Bethel are part of the universal body of Christ that's made up of other believers around the world. But then, we, some people call it the local church or the local body or the unique church. And again, there is a one universal church. It is represented by many local or unique churches that are scattered around the world. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So he, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm talking about more than just one location. I'm talking about the body, the universal body. So, so when you read that, there, it's application to a universal body, and it's applicable to a local body. The New Testament strongly urges believers to gather locally, locally. In fact, Hebrews 10.25 urges us not to forsake the meeting together. Uh, it's important. So, so the, then the question is, we've talked a little bit about it. So the question is, how do, we, how do we answer when somebody asks us about denominations? Anybody ever been asked about denominations? I, I, we had a lady, it's been many, many years ago, called the church office, wanted to talk to me. And so I get on the phone and she says, uh, Pastor, she said, I, we're considering visiting your church, but we, we've been non-denominational. And we really... You know, we really like non-denominational, and, and, and we don't know much about a denominational church. We don't know much about the Assemblies of God. Can you tell me what y'all believe? And I said, sure. And so I start going down the list. You know, I, hey, we got the 16 fundamental truths. I start talking about, you know, we believe in the inspiration of Scripture and the deity of Christ and the fall of man and the salvation of man and, and just start going through all those things. And I get, I get somewhere down in the middle of them. She said, wait a minute. She said, that sounds like it comes from the Bible. And I wanted to say, well, where else would it come from? I, I, I was kind of shocked, really. I was kind of shocked. And then I got to thinking, you know, I wonder. I, you know, I told her, I said, I said, let me tell you something about denominations. I said, there's an accountability in a, in a, in a denomination. There's an accountability. I said, we got too many free-spirited churches, I believe, today that are accountable to no one. And, and in fact, if you watch the news very long, you see many churches today that have no accountability and no structure, they're in trouble. You know, the culture that's, 
that has been that was brewing in that church has spilled over. You, I mean, it, I don't want to jump into them, but I mean, there's been some recent stories on TV and the national news about churches that I mean, I'm talking global impact churches that have rotten stuff at the core because they're not accountable. I told her, I said, you know what? I said, here's the thing. I said, when you have a denomination, you have a structure, and I said, I understand that there are. There are limitations to that structure, and there are some cons to it as well. Because I said, all, all these things are man-made, okay? And, and there's, there's flaws in them. I said, but here's the thing. There's an accountability. I said, so for instance, where I am with the Assemblies of God, I said, I have a, I have a, we have a board. And I said, while we are an autonomous church, I said, we belong voluntarily to a, 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 a district, North Texas district. And I said, so if I ever got wacky or loopy, I said, the, the elders, can take, they can take charge by bringing in the district of which we affiliate. And I said, so there's an accountability so that if I, uh, you know, if, if, if somebody gets off in left field and starts preaching and teaching heresy, somebody's going to step in and deal with it. She said, I never thought of it like that. So, so, you know, if you've never been asked about denominations, I promise you there'll be, there, there'll be times, particularly I believe moving forward in, in, in the way our culture is, they're going to ask you. So I, I just don't believe in denominations. So if somebody asks you the question about denomination, well, let me, let, let me tell you how to answer it. Number one, let's talk about diverse groups of people. One of the big reasons that we have the differences among churches goes back to the command that Jesus made to make disciples of all nations. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, You will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and where? And to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now think about that for a minute. The church was not birthed to remain isolated in one place. Okay? Acts 2, 41 says that after Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved as a result of that sermon he preached on the day of Pentecost. By the way, Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. This number grew to 5,000 in Acts chapter 4. And the Bible even goes in and lists them. It talks about Samaritans and, and, and Gentiles, Parthians and, and Grecians and all these types of people. They were added to the church, okay? And then it spread to strategic locations. You, you had churches that were being planted in Antioch, and you had churches in uh, Ephesus, and then you had churches in Rome, and again, all over the place, all over the place. As those first believers began taking the gospel to different cultures and countries, here's what happened. The message and the methods became contextualized. It wasn't all done like it was done in Jerusalem. Because the cultures were different wherever these churches were planted. Again, I could, we could get on a plane right now and we could, we could, we could fly to Poland. It was when we were in, in Poland last September and we attended service uh, with the Polish church there. They did it different than we did. In Africa, they did it different than we did. In South America, they did it different than we did. And they do it different than we do. Are they wrong and we right? No, that's just how they do it. That's just how, that's just how they do it. So, so, again, I mean, you think about it. This happened, this same thing happened in our country. You got to go way back. You got to go way back to the, you know, early 1700s. The colonists gathered. They gathered, I mean, think about it. They gathered as Congregationalists in New England. They gathered as Roman Catholics in Maryland. 
They gathered as Quakers in Pennsylvania. They gathered as Presbyterians in Virginia. Then you had the Swedish Baptists in the Midwest. Then you had the Dallas Cowboys in Texas. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that movement's about folded. No, I'm just kidding. You know, the universal church and the unique churches are made up of people from every culture, every language, and every background. Some people today, some churches, they quote, 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 creeds. <laughs> Try to say that real fast. They quote creeds. Others don't. Okay? Some get up every Sunday and they go through the Apostles' Creed. So the churches that don't recite the Apostles' Creed, are they wrong? No, they're just different. Some churches, when we talk about membership, when we have our uh, newcomer banquet or, or luncheon, we talk about we are, uh, we are a non-liturgical church. There are churches that are liturgical. That means they, they have elements in their worship that we don't have. There's symbolism in that liturgy that we don't have. Are they right and we wrong or are we right and they wrong? Well, they're just different. Not necessarily bad, it's just it's different. So, so again, the reason we have denominations is, again, because of the diverse people. Number two is because of doctrine. Doctrine. Some churches disagree, disagree because of doctrinal differences. You know, again, we believe in a very distinctive doctrine. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe, uh, you know, there are groups of people that believe in the cessation of the Holy Spirit. Meaning that the Holy Spirit is not active today, that he was only around for a certain period of time, that he was there to kind of the impetus to kickstart the church, and once the church got going, he wasn't needed anymore. We don't believe that. We believe that the Holy Spirit is active today, that he's alive. And, and that may be oversimplification, but I'm just simply saying, we don't believe in the cessation of the Holy Spirit. We believe the gifts of the Spirit are still viable today. We believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is still viable today. We, we believe those things, that the active part of the Holy Spirit is still relevant and active today. Some don't. Jude 3 tells us that we are to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all saints. And again, I go back to what I said. We can't compromise, uh, again, on the inerrancy of Scripture. But, but when we talk about unity, there are doctrinal things that d- divide us. That's reasons for denominations. But it, they are still our brothers and sisters. If they believe in Jesus, listen, we've got, we've got to toe the line on the inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, the burial and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have to maintain the deity of Christ. We have to also stand true to the salvation by grace through faith and all these other key beliefs. We've got to stand on that. But there are some other things. You know, there are, ple- there are churches that believe that we're uh, mid-tribbers and post-tribbers and they're pre-millennialist and amillennialist uh, you know that word there <laughs> I had a lady that played the piano when I pastored in Germany I preached a sermon one time and I'm a pre-tribulation believer I believe in the pre-trib rapture and she came up to me after service after I preached that message she said pastor I don't I don't agree with you I said what are you talking about she said well you you talked about a pre-trib you're a pre-tribber. She said, I'm a mid-tribber. And I said, well, I don't care. That's what, that's what I said. I said, I don't care. She looked at me and I said, look, what, what difference does it make? I said, are you born again? She said, yes, you know I am. I said, okay, so, so who cares? 
I said, as long as you're ready, whether he comes before, in the middle, or after, we're still going to heaven. And I said, that's the, that's the focus. And again, maybe that's oversimplification. That's the way my brain works. Again, doctrine d- divides us, but we can't compromise on the core values or the core doctrines of the church that make us different. I told you about a, uh, Brother Hughes, who a good friend of mine, pastored there in Germany where we lived and, and has preached for me three or four times down through the years. He was invited to an ecumenical service, had his name on the name on the agenda, the schedule. It was a prayer thing for the community. And when he got to reading on there who was praying, there was another two or three groups on there that didn't serve the same Jesus. And so he went to the head chaplain. He said, he said are you going to let these people pray? And he said, well, why not? This is a community thing. It's ecumenical. We want everybody to come and pray. He said, but their Jesus is not our Jesus. He said, well, now we just really, you know, we're just trying to build unity. That's what he said. We're just trying, this is back in the 80s. We're just trying to build unity so we can all just get along. He said, he said, I can't do that. I can't break bread with somebody that doesn't serve the same Jesus that I serve. He said, just take my name off the list. And he didn't go. He held the line. What fellowship does light have with darkness? And again, I'm, I'm not saying, again, I'm not by in any way abdicating uh, antagonism and hatred and none of that at all. I'm just saying that the church today must stand on the cornerstone of Christ. Paul said, I sought to, I sought to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And that's what we must be as well. Another thing that separate, or the reason for denominations is depravity, kind of what I'm alluding to right there. Again, one big reason that congregations splinter and denominations divide is simply because we are self-centered and selfish sinners. You know, there's just a mainline denomination not long ago, or maybe they're still in the process of it, taking a vote on whether or not to ordain homosexuals to be able to preach the gospel. I mean, think about it. Deciding whether or not that is something they want to do. When the Bible already gives us instructions. Again, that, that, that's bothersome to me. And, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to, and we've seen it. We've seen it with the Anglican church. We've seen it with the Episcopal church. You've got, you've got very conservative African Anglican uh, Asians and things like that that are pulling out of these other main lines because they're saying that doesn't line up with Scripture. There's, there, there's bringing division. Depravity does that. You know, sometimes the only explanation for divisiveness and or divisiveness is, is the evil in our hearts. In fact, Galatians 5, Paul said, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out. <laughs> I like what he said. Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. If, if you're constantly bickering with other people, what, power, what witness is that to the world? Again, that leads to the, the fourth thing is divisiveness. Divisiveness, Paul addressed this. He said, you know what, and the Corinthians, remember what he talked about in chapter 1? He said, there's a group of people there. Some people say, well, I follow Paul. And somebody else said, well, I follow Apollos. And somebody else says, well, I follow Cephas. And then to outdo all of them, somebody says, well, I follow Christ. Bless God. <laughs> you know what Paul does? He said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Again, he's... He's trying to point out the utter ludicrous of factionalism, trying to follow. 
it's, it's, it's everywhere. Disputes, again, I, I'm, I'm just giving you some of the reasons why we have denominations. There are some legitimate reasons, but then you get down and, and, and you get into disputes. So Acts chapter 15, what happened to the early church? Well, there was a theological crisis that happened in the early church that ultimately was resolved. If you know anything about church history, it was resolved at the Jerusalem Council, and it established, here's what it established, that Gentiles did not have to become Jewish to be saved. There, 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 was, there were the, Judea, the Judaizers that, that were insisting that it, the Gentiles had to convert to Judaism in order to be saved. And, and it created such a ruckus among the early church. You remember Paul even uh, got on, he scolded Peter in Galatians. He said, I, I got in his face. Because he, I, you know, what did Paul say? He said, because he acted inappropriately. He was one way with the Jewish people, and then with the Gentile people, he was another way. He said, I confronted him to his face. I can see, oh, Paul, I don't, I'm, I don't know how. I, can, I just picture Paul, you know, just with his finger in his face. Now, I always picture Peter as a burly, you know, kind of guy. And, but Paul let him have it. Talk about what hypocrisy. You know, but the J- Jewish council came along, and it, it, it solved that. It said, look, salvation is how? It's by, it's by grace alone through faith, right? And then when this was put to a letter, Acts chapter 15, verse 31, says, and when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Then we have disagreements. That was a peaceful resolution, but sometimes there is no peace. Paul and Barnabas, you remember, they got into a disagreement, right? They got into a big, you remember what the disagreement was about? It was about John Mark. <laughs> yeah, it was about John Mark. Paul was like, you know what? Go pound sand. You're not worth it. <laughs> That's, he didn't say that. <laughs> but there was a disagreement. He's like, he's like, you know, Barnabas was like, hey, John, come on now. You know, John, Paul was like, he doesn't have a future anymore. Acts 15, 39 and there arose, listen to what it said, a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. It was such a disagreement. That's why we have denominations. Is You go back to the early days of, of the Pentecostal movement, it broke off of other movements. You know, because you started, you had a group of people that started believing, reading Acts chapter 2, reading Joel uh, the prophet, reading about the last day move of God and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they're not seeing what they're seeing in the, in the Word is not lining up with what they see in the world, and it caused division. Uh, you know, it, it, it caused the disagreements, and they broke off. You know, there are three main branches of Christianity. There's Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and there's Protestant. Again, if you're going to group, talk about world religion class. You know, there are some people say that, that would like to say there's 33,000 Protestant denominations. That's not really true. There's probably closer to 300. Um, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Methodists, Anglicans, Pentecostals, Baptists, Evangelical, uh, Nazarene. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of them. Uh, but again, if they believe in Jesus Christ, preach the inerrancy of Scripture, maintain the deity of Christ, believe in the atoning sacrifice, they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's room for us all, all for one and one for all. You know, the assemblies of God of which we associate. Oh, it's already that time. Wow, why didn't you tell me I was, I'm losing time. 
You know, the assemblies of God is something that we associate with. It came about when devout men and women gathered in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1914 to form. And if you go back and read the AG history, they formed, they wanted to form an organization that had a global reach to evangelism or missions. The AG was originally founded as a sending organization. And you know what? It's remained a sending organization since that time. Mission, missions work. We have one of the most robust missions organizations on the planet. We have missionaries that populate places that, you know, that are just unimaginable, doing things for the kingdom. It was birthed by a group of people that came out and said, you know what? The, the mandate of Scripture is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We need a, a focal place, a focal point, a group of people, and they aligned themselves together. That group forged a document, and I referred to it earlier. We call it the 16 Fundamental Truths of the Assemblies of God, and it outlines the core values of who we are. One of the things that really blesses me about that document is that it is still in effect today. It has not been altered in fact, I told one of our elders in, in the, the denomination when I was at the prayer uh, launching back in February in Springfield, I said, you know, we were talking about the 16 fundamental truths, and I said, if the Assemblies of God ever deviates from those 16 core values, I will not be an Assembly of God guy. I said, what is attractive to me is that we have forged a document and we have stood, it has stood the test over 100 years with all of the modernization, uh, the challenges, uh, you know, and, and again, it gives me great comfort to know that with all the mainline denominations that are crumbling under the weight of secularism, secularism, the AG still stands on those truths. Now, that's not to say that there are not factions within the assemblies of God that want to change things, because we do. We have those. We have, we have guys right now uh, that and their voices are growing louder. They they are challenging some of those core values. They're challenging some of those stances that we've had for over a hundred years. And, and, and you know what? Our leadership right now continues to toe the line, referring back to what those people committed to in 1914. I don't really have time. I'll, I'll have to do this a little bit later. Um, because I was going to kind of go into a little bit of uh, baptism and communion. Uh, so, so let me just wrap it up like this, because I, I, don't, I don't have time to really get into that. We as a church, a local church, again, the universal church, and there's a local church. We're a local church. We, we in our movement, we practice two, we have two, what we call, they're not, they're not sacraments. Sacraments means to add to, and, and communion and baptism don't add to, you know, they're not necessary for salvation. These are, or, we call them ordinances, two ordinances of the church. One of those uh, is baptism. And, of course, you've seen, uh, you know, we've probably had 50 people baptized this year. Uh, we'll have another baptism service coming up in July. Um, you know, we want people to follow through. You know, when they've been born again, um, I've had people ask me, Pastor, you know, I was baptized as an infant. Uh, should I be baptized? And, I, and I, I say, yes, you, you need to because baptism, the, 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 the qualifier is that you're born again. And if you don't understand, 
you know, an infant doesn't understand the concept of salvation, atonement, uh, things like that. And I said, you know, now that you do, it would be appropriate to be baptized again. Uh, but we do practice the ordinance of baptism. We do baptize uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We do it through immersion. Um, and, and that's one of the ordinances. The other one is communion. <clears throat> communion is a memorial. Uh, it is, you know, we have Memorial Day coming up this weekend as well. It's a memorial where we remember uh, the cost for what we have here. So, you know, Jesus prayed. Let me just close with this. Jesus prayed for the church to be united. And I truly believe that God has blessed us here uh, at Bethel uh, for many, many years. We've seen, in fact, I was talking to somebody right before service, and they just commented about just the enthusiasm and the joy and the excitement that they see and sense here at the church. God's been good to us. And I, and I really feel like we've been good stewards uh, of ministry to one another and to the community for many, many years. Um, but here's the thing. We're not his favorites. And we're not, his only, we're not the only ones doing his work. And we have to recognize that. You know, there are churches today that teach they are the only way or they're the best way. I, I have to be careful because I have this joke that I pull on people all the time, and, and it really is a tongue-in-cheek because I, like I like to lighten the act. Brevity is, or not brevity, um, what's the word? Um, lightheartedness. Levity, that's it. So, so I... Uh, Somebody, you know, we might be talking and they say, well, I go to so-and-so church. And I look at them so, and I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. And they, they look puzzled at me. And, I, and, and then I just laugh and I say, I'm just messing with you. I know many good people there and, and we just laugh about it. And I have to watch that because I don't want ever to come across to somebody like I think we're better than anybody else, even though we are. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um. We're not his favorites, and we don't have a lock on the truth, and we're not the only ones doing this work. We do a lot of work. There are other churches doing things. we got to rejoice. We should pray for others to strive for the work that God's called them to be. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to answer for what other churches have done. God has placed me as the under-shepherd here, and I will be accountable for what we were supposed to do here. And so to the best of my ability, I want to lead us to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. And then I want to pray for other churches to do what they are supposed to do. Uh, and because when we're all working together, how happy we'll be. Won't you stand with me tonight? Again, I thought that was a good question. So hopefully you got a little bit of ammunition if somebody asks you why they're denominations. Uh, and if you can't remember anything that we talked about tonight, just ask them, do you have a brother or a sister? <laughs> that kind of works too. <laughs> But, but I want you to bow. Uh, two things. I want you to bow with me as we close in prayer. And, and, and I just want to close out this way. Uh, one of them is if you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I, I just need a touch from the Lord. If, that's, if you've had a tough week, you just need God to do something for you, uh, just, how about just raise your hand real quick, and we want to pray with you in closing. Uh, and then the last thing is we close in prayer. I want us to pray for the body of Christ here in Johnson County. Um, there, there are a lot of lost people. I read somewhere or was told um, last year that 23% of our population find themselves in church on Sunday. That, that's, and, and a lot of people say that's a lot higher than national average. It may be, but it's still depressing. There, what that means is there are a lot of people that need Jesus. Uh, they need a family. And, and let's pray 
for others. Let's, let's, let's make that a part of who we are, uh, praying for other places, because they're doing a work for the kingdom, and we're not, uh, we're not responsible for them. Uh, Father, tonight, I thank you for the diversity that you have in the body. Lord, I thank you that you pray, Lord, you pray for us to be one. One doesn't, one doesn't mean that we're the same, we like the same, we do the same. It just means we're united under the, the banner of Christ. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we've been called and commissioned by you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all peoples, and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, Father, let us not lose sight of our mandate. And, Father, I pray that for the body of Christ within Johnson County, Lord, I pray that churches would, uh, Lord, just rise to the occasion. Lord, last year our theme was let the church arise. Lord, that is our prayer for this body in Johnson County, that we would arise to the challenges that we see in our community. Lord, there are a lot of people that need Jesus. And I pray that as churches and here as as a pastor of this church, may we not be lost uh, to to the lostness of our community by being focused internally on what's happening here. May we have eyes to see. May we look to the fields and see. And Father, I pray that every church would recognize that it's not just what happens within the walls of their church, that we have a mission that expands beyond that. Lord, may we be soul-winning people and soul-winning churches. Father, I pray that a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit would blow into all the churches here in Johnson County. Uh, Lord, that name you as Savior and Lord. But Father, I pray for those that raise their hand tonight that just need, just need a touch from you. God, I thank you that you're faithful. And I thank you that, Lord, for the abiding presence and power of the Holy Spirit as we plan uh, and prepare for Pentecost Sunday, Lord, to marking the, the birth of the church with, with power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that with freshness that you would blow up on the embers of our heart and that, God, you would fan in the flame that which was within. I ask you to go with us now. Give us a wonderful, restful night. Lord, tomorrow bless all those, if you tarried, that come to serve and to be served. May we do so joyfully and with a glad heart, representing who you are. And, and, and Lord, bring us on Sunday ready to receive and even now ordain what you're going to do. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. Jesus